Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Greetings to everyone in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 8 today, and we just finished chapter 7. Chapter 7 was a very difficult chapter chapter to teach. You're looking at marriage. You're looking at marriage between a believer and a non-believer. You're looking at the issue of divorce. You're looking at being single versus being married during times of distress and, and some people having the gifting of being single. And you're also looking at giving your daughter away into marriage during times of distress. All of these issues were very urgent for the believers at Corinth, and Paul had gotten questions on these issues, and he writes back to them. Sometimes he is saying, this is the Lord's command, and at other times he is saying, this is what I instruct, this is the wisdom that I'm bringing to you. And from a hermeneutical standpoint, hermeneutics being the way that we interpret Scripture, whether it's a command or an apostle being under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, bringing forth wisdom for the situation, it is the Word of God. We need to listen to what Paul is saying to the believers at Corinth, understand what it meant, and then apply it to our, our lives today. So I hope that you listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now we're coming into chapter 8. Chapter 8, many believe, is a difficult chapter, but for me, having lived in India for 11 years, looking at chapter 8 and also in chapter 10, they're very easy chapters to teach because we used to have to deal with this all the time. And so we're going to look at this chapter, and I have a young man who's become older. He just reached 40 years of age here (laughs) recently. His name is Alan. I've known him for, wow, probably 35 years. No, 30 years now, something like 28 years. And we have been good friends and have known him all these years. And we've always stayed in contact together. And he's been living up in New York City, uh, working up there and also working in ministry with Times Square Church. And he felt a calling to come back to the South and also to come here to Birmingham and help us in this podcast studio. So it's a joy for me to have Alan here with me. And Alan, you want to say a a few words, just greet everyone that's listening. Yeah, I'm really um, excited to be here, Um, Scott, with you. Um, And yeah, I'm really looking forward to see, you know, what God's going to do in the future with these podcasts. Yeah, it's a blessing. God has blessed my life um, incredibly through Scott through his ministry. He was my youth pastor at 14, um, and he's really, um, you know, God used him to be the reason that I'm here today walking with the Lord and and put him in my life to draw me closer to him. Scott's a tremendous blessing, and I'm really excited to be a part of this podcast. So that was 26 years ago, and it's been a joy for Laura and I and our family. Just Alan is family to us. We're just going to get started here, and this is, I think, his first time to do a podcast. Yes. And I'm the worst at doing things like this, as you can tell, is listening to this podcast. But the important thing for us is that we glorify God, we build up the body of the Messiah, that we bring the gospel to people that do not know the gospel, and that everything that we say and everything that we do 
glorifies God and glorifies his Messiah, Jesus. And we are focused upon that content, not trying to entertain you, but having good content that glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ and brings the gospel. And really, discipleship hopefully will take place through these podcasts. So whether or not you like our voices, that we do a professional job, we're not trying to entertain you, but we really want to bring forth the teaching of God's Word. So let's go to chapter 8. And when we go to chapter 8, remember, originally, there is not chapter and verse divisions. So we're flowing out of these difficult topics, really, with the same theme going through chapter 7, and now flowing through a different topic, because he's going to say in verse 1, now concerning things sacrificed to idols. So we're going to a completely different subject here. That's the reason why they made the chapter division here. So let's read the first three verses. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Some of the most powerful statements here. All the time, I'm running into individuals that they believe that they have a lot of knowledge about everything in the world, especially all the people that are into conspiracy theories. They have figured everything out, everything that's going on, and they have a lot of knowledge. When you get to verse 2, if anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. The more that I know, the more that I understand, the more that I grow in the things of God, the more I come to the realization of how small I I am and how much I do not know. That's actually wisdom coming into your life. When I was younger, I knew everything. You could ask me about any subject and I'm ready to debate with you. As you get older, you learn to change your vocabulary a lot to look at things from a different perspective, and you become more wise, and you're slow to speak, but quick to hear. Knowledge makes arrogant. The more that a person thinks that they know a lot about subjects, about life, about politics, philosophy, the more that they think that they know, they become arrogant. But if we have the love of God that is motivating us in everything that we do, then that knowledge is not arrogance, but that knowledge, I believe, will be used for the glory of God. And you look at this in verse 2, a young person sometimes thinks they know everything, but as the more that they know, they should understand, I don't know everything. I need to learn to be silent. I need to learn to listen and to be quiet at this point and to speak here. But everything needs to be motivated by the love of God. But if anyone loves God, this is what is truly important, that you love God. You may not have all the knowledge in the world. You may not know everything about what you need to know or should know today. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. That is what is important. The love of God in our hearts The love of God demonstrated through his son 
that we have responded to the love of God that's brought about the forgiveness of God and we have been saved by the grace of God through faith in the Messiah and that love lives within our hearts. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us and it's the love of God that should reside within us that is motivating us to know things that glorify God and that edify the body of the Messiah. That is going to be the context here in chapter 8. Alan, any thoughts about these first three verses? Yeah, that just kind of, when you were reading that, it brought to mind, you know, that verse that God uses the the foolish things to confound the the wisdom of this world um, and just how, how that's kind of that sort of reverse kingdom thinking that Paul has. You know, if you look at Paul's life and his ministry and as a whole, it doesn't make sense. He wasn't very successful, and I know you've touched on this, you know, talking about Paul's writing, but yeah, it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense to the the people that were the philosophers and the deep thinkers of the day, but he loved God, and God, you know, he was known by God, and that was what God chose to use you know, in his life, in his ministry, and how he chose to do it, which by all worldly standards and thinking made absolutely no sense. But that was God's wisdom, which, you know, doesn't match up with people that think they're intelligent or think this is the way things should be done. God is, is smarter than us. He knows more than us. Um, and if we think that we know more than him, we're absolutely wrong. <laughs> but when we don't know and we don't understand, all we really have to do is love and trust him. And then he knows us and he takes care of us through that. Yeah, it's really Amen. profound. Let's think about this in the historical context because you brought up some of those things. In Corinth, like in Athens, the philosophers, the Hellenistic world, everybody had to have their teaching, their philosophy that developed disciples around their teaching, and it was based upon their knowledge. Now, that's the historical setting. The specific setting here is not talking that we shouldn't study and should not know as much as we can in our lives. In fact, Paul's going to say to Timothy, study to show thyself approved. A workman needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So it's not anti-education. It's not anti-study. However, in the historical context, of philosophers and the arrogance that comes about when you develop a following behind you based upon knowledge and that you know more than they know. I would put it in this way. You go to a college campus, a university campus, and you're 18 years of age and you walk into that psychology class or sociology class and that professor has all of this knowledge and they are over you. And the arrogance that comes out sometimes of how much they know and how little you are, you see the arrogance that has built up within their lives. So it's not against study, but it's about that being your foundation. Knowledge is my foundation. Knowledge, it says, makes arrogance, but love edifies. And when we go through chapter 8 here, it's going to be dealing with the issue of things sacrificed to idols. I have knowledge that these are just idols, dumb idols. There's only one God. Why do I even have to be concerned about these things? But it's the love of God that should motivate us and the decisions that we make, not the knowledge on the subject. And that's extremely important when we think about our walk with God. 
is not what we know that is the most important thing of how we live our lives. It's the love of God inside of us, teaching us and directing us what is the right thing to do. And if we don't have the love of God, then we're going to get ourselves in a lot of trouble, even if we have the right understanding in the debate, if we're not motivated by the love of God, because knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies, and love will edify the body of the Messiah. So let's go into verses 4 through 6. Hopefully this is making sense to everyone. You can comprehend really well what we're saying. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. That is our knowledge. We understand that. They're just dumb idols. It's just wood and stone. We lived in India for many years. Basically, in that pantheistic society, anything and anybody can be a god. We understand that that is not true. They're just idols. We know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. There's only one God. For even if there are so-called gods, little g, plural, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, to many people there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us there is but one God. For the one that knows the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, that has come to God through the forgiveness of sins, through the Messiah, there is only one God. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. There is only one God, one Lord, one way to God, one salvation, and we exist for him. All the other religions in the world, all of their lords and gods, so-called gods and lords and their paths, we understand that they are completely false. They don't have any authority, any power, any truth in them at all. There's only one God. We understand that within our lives. Now let's go in verses 7 through 13. And this, uh, hopefully, will be very easy to understand. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, are the better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. And so, by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against the Messiah. You sin against Christ. Therefore, listen at verse 13. This is the statement that Paul wants to make. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, 
I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Now let me try to break this down and Alan jump in at any time. We know that there's not an idol. Idols are just pagan. They're not real. They are not gods. They don't represent God. We know that they're just dumb idols. That's how I want to to say it. If I say that in certain countries in the world, I I could be locked up and put into jail by just making that statement. They're just dumb idols. But some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Verse 7. Verse 8. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor better if we do eat. What it is saying, whether we eat this food or not, It's not important. We know that. As a strong believer, we understand that. Now, we are not talking about food or things sacrificed to idols directly that is given to us. We're going to get to that in chapter 10. So we understand through the dialogue here, by comparing it to chapter 10, that this is indirectly. And we have knowledge they're just dumb idols. They're they're not even... Gods, they're not even lords, they don't represent anything. And as a strong believer, yes, Alan, go out and eat whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Who cares if it first went to the temple, then to the market, then to the restaurant, and now it's coming to us. Yeah. But now there are some believers that believe that, no, that's wrong, that's sin. I lived in India for 11 years, Alan. Basically, I understood this chapter because everything that we put on our table probably came from an idol, presented to an idol before it came to us. Mm -hmm. And some people are going to get upset. Well, go to India and live for 11 years, you won't be able to eat anything. Because what is at the grocery store, when they open up in the morning, they probably dedicated everything to their idol. Now, I didn't do that, nor were they giving from the idol to me. If I go to the restaurant, the same thing. Everything is being passed down from one idol to another. So as a strong believer, I understand there's no such thing as a real idol. I'm going to eat. All right. So, but verse 9, verse 9, look. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Now, it's talking about the weak brother. Yeah, and I was I was just reading back and looking at, you know, when we've gotten to the first verse, you know, knowledge make, makes arrogant, but love edifies. So would you say it's safe to say when Paul's talking about this, you know, he's speaking about, you know, that it's okay, you know, like you knew it was okay, you could eat that food, whatever we want to eat, right? That's not going to affect our relationship with the Lord. But when that brother's there that might be struggling, that might know, that's what he's saying when when love is going to edify them. And even though you know it's right, you don't want to be arrogant and think, I can do this. You should be able to do it too. You know, you're. I'm not struggling with this. Why are you are? I'm going to do it and show you right. that exactly. it's okay to do. You exactly hit the context because for that believer that Paul describes as weak has not come to that understanding, it is sin. And when you start teaching someone to do something against their own conscience and they believe it's sin, you are tearing that person down. You're not building them up. And it's a very dangerous thing. And Paul's going to say you're sinning against your brother mm-hmm. by doing that. 
So say I'm in India and I get someone, a believer that comes out and they're eating at the table with me and they say, where did that come from? I say from the market. They would say, oh, or what happened? I mean, do they offer to idols? What do they do? And I say, well, probably. And they would say, well, can we eat it? And I would say, from a knowledge standpoint, sure. There's no such thing as an idol. Yeah. We're not participating in idol worship by doing that. And then that person is saying, well, I'm not sure. doesn't seem right to me. Yeah. Now, they're caught in a problem in India because everything from vegetables, meat, meat. <laughs> everything. But I need to be sensitive to their understanding and try to explain it to them. If they don't get it, it would be better for us to, well, let's not eat here tonight. And we'll try to find a Christian grocery store somewhere in the city of Delhi. And we'll go there and we'll only buy food from there. Yeah. Now, I haven't known of one in Delhi, but I'm sure that I could find somewhere, even going into a Muslim market, and we could find meat and things and vegetables that were not given to an idol first and bring it back. This is the exact same context If that young believer who is weak in their understanding feels that is sin to eat of that meal, hey, let's shut down the meal. Let's go buy some other food from the other side of town. Yeah, and you can almost, you know, that word arrogant, you know, it's kind of sticking back in my mind because if you're on that that side of the table knowing that there's no idols, knowing that it doesn't affect you, you can almost look down on that other believer and say, you know what, I'm just going to do this and show this person that, you know, nothing's going to happen to me if I eat this. But you're not walking in love, so you're not really edifying them right. because you're not, you know, looking at their sort of mental, moral dilemma that they're right. facing being a younger baby Christian or, or really struggling with this, you know, thought process of why this is still not wrong. Right. Um, you get it, but they don't. And if you, yeah. you can look down and be arrogant if you don't, you know, work in love and say they're struggling with this. I don't want to, I want to help them and show them in the right way. Right. Not just look down on them and say, well, you just don't get it. Right. You know, let's get eat. And I think you put it the best way, that ethical dilemma mm-hmm. that they're having from within side. Yeah. Now, I don't have that dilemma. And I'm a stronger brother. I understand I have the right conclusions about it. Knowledge will make arrogant. Oh, be quiet. You don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Grow up. But they're having an ethical dilemma within side of them. It's a real dilemma. Do I eat? Do I not eat? But if I'm motivated by the love of God, I'm willing to say, hey, I understand your dilemma. I don't agree with it, but we will not put you in that ethical dilemma that you're in right now. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go somewhere else and eat somewhere else. Yeah, no, that's powerful. And, and just going still that this first verse is still getting me, but, you know, it's saying we know that we all have knowledge. So Paul is saying himself, you know, we, so it's Paul it's all everyone that's reading this. We have knowledge, and he's not necessarily talking about a worldly knowledge. It's also spiritual, and this knowledge that you have can, you know, you can be godly in this context too. Right. You know this is right. You know this is wrong. You know the Lord and the Holy Spirit revealed it to you, so that's not a bad thing. But if you're not looking at it in love, even having a godly knowledge, you can become arrogant and yeah. saying, I'm a, I'm a more mature believer, or I'm better, and, and this person just needs to grow up and, and figure this out, and... Right. You know, I don't have to coddle to them, but that's not walking in love if you you have that attitude. Right. And there's not a gray area here. Paul is saying the, the stronger brother has the right knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's not talking about gray areas. 
is talking about what is more important, that we see the ethical dilemma that the weaker brother is in, and we love them by going slow with them until they come to the understanding there's no such thing as an idol, and we go slow with them, that's going to build them up, or are we going to break them down, that we have more knowledge than them. And many times within the body of the Messiah, it's all about who's right and who's wrong. And there are things that we don't compromise on. But this is something, it's not a gray area, it's just showing us that by the love of God, we need to go slow with this weaker brother. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be just with things sacrificed to idols. The principle is there. It is love that edifies Knowledge makes arrogant. I think in the King James, when I was growing it, it says puffs up. Mm -hmm. But it, it means to make arrogant and prideful. And knowledge can do that. And when we go to verse 10, for, or therefore, if someone sees you who have knowledge, a weaker brother that sees a stronger brother, dining in an idol's temple. Now, I believe this is the idol's temple is the mindset of the weaker brother here. That first it went to the temple, the meat, and then it's filtered down to the market and to the restaurants and the food places. And if they see you dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? Now, I don't believe that this is an eating place inside the temple. Mm -hmm. I don't, you, you'll see when we get to chapter 10 that that's, that's going to be strongly no, anything directly connected to an idol. But for that individual that is eating meat that first went to the temple and then it came down indirectly, that is an idol's temple. And if he sees you eating and then they eat, there's a problem that's going to happen within them with their conscience. Verse 11. For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. How is he ruined? Because he's participating in something that he believes is sin, and he's getting broken down in the process, not being built up. The brother for whose sake Christ died. That's something that we always have to remember in any situation that we have more knowledge than, a, than another brother. Christ died for that brother. We have to look at them and understand the ethical dilemma, the moral dilemma that they are in and say, okay, what is the right thing to do right now in order to edify that brother, to build them up? If it's based upon my knowledge, I'm not going to do the right thing. If it's based upon my love for God and my love for that individual that Christ died for, then I'm going to do the right thing. And this is what Paul is saying. Verse 12, and so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Now, this is the rebuke. The one that has the knowledge that there's not anything such as an idol. We know that idols don't exist, so I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to worry about this weaker brother that doesn't understand that. By going out and just eating wherever I want to, not wondering about that, even though it has a problem with some of the believers, I am sinning against the Messiah. I'm wounding their conscience when they are weak. Instead of building them up and bringing clarity within their lives, I'm breaking them down and I'm sinning against Christ. 
Therefore, verse 13, this is the principle that everyone should remember. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. And it's a very powerful statement here about considering weaker brothers that do not have the same understanding, that have not come to the same conclusions, have not seen that they're just dumb idols, and we don't have to worry about that, whether it went to the temple first or not. It's better not to eat meat than to cause my brother to stumble. And that's the principle that we need to apply every day within our lives. This is not saying that we let a weaker brother take advantage of us in every situation. It's not giving in to nonsense. But what this is saying, when there's a moral dilemma within their lives, should I or shouldn't I, to go with our knowledge and not with the love of God, can destroy that brother and break down his relationship with God. And then we will be sinning against the Messiah. And our whole goal is to glorify Christ and to edify the body of Christ. Now I want to go to chapter 10 real quick. We're going to get to that chapter later on. But I want to show you there's a difference between the context of chapter 8 and the context in chapter 10. Paul is not contradicting himself here, but it's a different context. Verse 28 of chapter 10. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. Now let me just stop with that, just that one statement there. Because here you have a direct connection to the idol. And we used to face this all the time in India. People would bring us gifts. Neighbors would give us things. We don't know what they did with it. Did they make something and first offer it to Ganesh or Hanuman first and then bring it to us? I'm not even concerned about it. I know there's not a such thing as an idol. But every once in a while, a neighbor would bring to us on a festival, a Hindu feast, and say, we offered this to Gunpati. That's the elephant god. We gave it to him first, and now we're bringing it to you. And they have a big smile on their face, and they're so excited that they're bringing us some sweets or something that was first offered to the idol. And I look them into the eye and say, thank you for the gift, but I cannot receive this because you offered it to an idol, and I do not participate in idol worship. And I remember one time, one of our neighbors was just stunned. They were good friends of ours. And she says, oh, it's just, it's just something that we do as Hindus. I said, no, we cannot take it. Because for us, that would be participating in idol worship. So when something directly comes to me, and someone says, this was given to an idol, absolutely not. I will not participate. I won't have anything to do with it. If, if I know that it came right there, from there to here, was given to me, no, I will not have any participation with it. But things that indirectly that have come, and I don't know where it's come from. It's just an idol, and there's no, thing, there's no such thing as an idol. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. I'm okay. I can eat. 
But if I have a brother that has a problem with it, I'd rather never eat meat again than to cause my brother to stumble. That is the message of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I hope it is clear. Many times, Alan, people go into Daniel. Well, what about Daniel? They would not eat the meat and the wine that came from the king's table. Mm-hmm. Well, they knew first it was offered to the idol, they ate and was passed down to them. And they understood directly this was coming directly from the idol. Yeah. It's a different context. And Daniel and his three Hebrew friends did the right thing. We will not eat of the meat and of the wine, and you'll see that God will honor this for us not participating in that. So I see them as directly being confronted with idol worship there. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's amazing to look at this because it seems like, you know, the Corinthians were facing a problem, you know, a little bit that we face here, at least in the, the Western church and culture. It's like we want to be right. And, and sometimes you are right, and sometimes you have the knowledge to know that, that you're right, just like you knew that idols are nonsense, you could eat this. But even if you're right, you need to walk in love and take the higher ground sometimes and say, even though I know this is nonsense, that this idol is nothing, it's a piece of wood, but for my brother, I'm not just going to eat it to prove my point that I'm right and I can do this because he's struggling with this dilemma and I need to take a step back and, you know, just work with him. And like you said before, I think that was a great way to say it. Sometimes you need to go slower, even though you're right, and you could sit there and prove this point that it's okay to eat this and and that God is not judging or looking at this as being wrong, but they're struggling with it. So right then is not the time to prove your point that you're right. And I think as a Western church and, and Christians nowadays, we always want to be right and we always want to say, this is it, and we can show you chapter and verse um, but if someone's still struggling with it, you know, you have to move slower with that person. And, and ultimately, you can do that when you're walking in love. If you're walking in that arrogance, right? you know, you're not walking in love and you're just going to try to prove your point. So that's really, really a good gut check, you know, when you mm-hmm. say, okay, I know this is okay, but what is this person going through? And kind of having that Holy Spirit love and that empathy for what they're going through, that's higher, that's the higher ground than you trying to prove your point. A lot of times. Very much. And I never had to deal with this, Alan, until I moved to India. Mm -hmm. In Hinduism, there's 330 million gods. So you're dealing with a pantheistic society that everywhere you go, probably something has been offered to an idol. You don't know. So indirectly, you, you learn to, hey, there's no such thing as an idol. There's only one God. And so I can't ask the question every day, okay, where did this come from? Where did that come from? All of these kind of things. Where did this milk come from? But if I have a young believer that is, doesn't understand that and they have a problem with drinking milk from the market because they saw something indirectly or something or because it's not a believer that owns that store or something like that, then yes, go slow. Walk in the love of God understanding, and you had the right terminology, a moral dilemma is going on within their heart. Mm-hmm. And it's not me to destroy that. It's, it's up to me to try to see them work through that. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, if something directly comes that I know specifically, it has come straight from an idol, like in chapter 10, someone comes and says, this has come from an idol. Never participate in that. That's, that's an issue that you never, never get involved in any context that directly comes from an idol. 
And in India, we had to deal with that almost every day. And it made sense to me. Hopefully, this brings some clarity. Hopefully, this ministers to your life today. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to glorify you. We want to edify the body of the Messiah. And we want to bring the good news to this world that needs you desperately, that is lost. God, I pray that you'll take everything that we have said Let it represent you. I pray that it represented you in everything that we said. And if there was something that didn't represent you, Lord, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would just block the ears of people that are listening. But Lord, let your word go forth. Your word, not my word. Your word, let it go forth. And your word never returns void. It always accomplishes what you want it to accomplish. And that is our prayer today. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at integritygm.com and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at integrity global missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.